0: Hey, thanks for joining us today. You're in for a treat because as Beth and I talk through, really, the body of Christ as you know God's outpost in you know satanically occupied territory, you know, the church, um, we find that you know even though we have markers like baptism and the Lord's Supper to mark that clearly, our identities are still complicated, and that's especially true when it comes to um, political ideals or allegiances or parties, not to mention just the uh, everyday, more pedestrian identities we share of, you know, um, race or ethnicity or what have you. And so we're going to be speaking with uh, Dan Dunmoyer on how we sort of triage and think about our identity uh, first as kingdom citizens and how that influences everything downstream from those things. So, yep. Uh, yeah. Hope you'll enjoy listening to the conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. All right, welcome to the Brick by Brick podcast. Uh, I am Cole Harper, and most of you know my partner in crime by this point. Who is?
1: Hey, it's Beth Whitney.
0: All right, Beth, I got a question. Um, So, I almost got a speeding ticket about three weeks ago. Hmm. Um, I have gotten many in the past, but I was Hmm. wondering, okay, does the class... um, good kid, hold up with your driving record. Like the, you know, do you get speeding tickets? Do you ever have a lead foot?
1: Do I get speeding tickets? Yes. That's a personal question.
0: Well, that's why I'm asking. Oh,
1: Um, I actually have never gotten a speeding ticket, but maybe maybe worse. So if you've ever driven by El Camino High School, there is a crosswalk that's kind of in the middle of just the street. It's not at an intersection or whatever and i was driving down el camino and this is probably like 13 or 14 years ago oh gosh driving down el camino at school time mm-hmm. and the light goes green yellow and i thought it was i was thinking intersection okay. so i i thought i was already kind of past right so i i went
0: ah uh, okay and
1: ran the light cuz the, the light kind of sits on top yes. of the crosswalk yes yes Sitting across, coming the other direction, you'll never guess who was sitting over there.
0: Is it a good constable?
1: Uh, it was a CHP officer. So I just immediately pulled over. I was like,
0: Ugh, <laughs> Not even going to try. I can't.
1: Like, what in the world? So he was kind of gave me a ticket that was kind of like the cheaper version of a red light running oh, rather than the a moving violation. You know, $400, $500. Yes. So have I gotten a ticket? Yes. Speeding ticket? No. Gotcha. I'm, I'm kind of like try and keep my speeding down to mm. a
0: minimum. I used to have an Infinity G35, and to make a doctor's appointment in South Dakota, I drove 117 miles an hour for about 20 minutes straight down the interstate. Um, that's the worst I've ever done. Never got ticketed for that. But we have a guest. I wonder if he's ever got a wow. ticket.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hard, hard, a hard left right. turn there, yeah, right there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, er- yeah. Uh, so maybe I should introduce our guest before we (laughs) ask him about his driving habits.
0: Fair enough. Um, Wow.
1: (laughs) We are here with our, our friend, Dan Dunmoyer. Dan, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for making time for us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be really fun. So, um, Dan, this might seem like a silly question since you're here with us, but where in the world are you and what are you doing there?
2: So I didn't have to answer the tougher question of speeding? Is that good? That I can was really smooth. I just that, want to make sure. I'm fine with <laughs> Invasive that. Invasive maneuvers. <laughs> 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 well, I'll answer your direct question. So um, I am here in Sacramento. Um, I, I work for an organization. So think like Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. but think of it for home builders. Okay. So it's called the California Building Industry Association. And uh, my job is to help make it easier for home builders to build all types of housing. So think hmm. apartments, hmm. think affordable, think entry-level to purchase, and even think luxury. We do a tiny bit of that. Mm-hmm. But it's um, 9 out of 10 housing units built in the state are built by one of our members. Wow. I'll be that going. We have about 2,700 members. And it's not just home builders and people who play with dirt. We also represent bankers who finance homes, mm-hmm. architects, engineers. So it's everything that goes into building a home wow. all the way down to you know landscaping. Mm-hmm. And so it's an association to help build more housing units gotcha. as well as homes to buy.
1: I bet every day is a little bit different for you.
2: You know, California is the hardest place in America to build mm-hmm. a home. Mm-hmm. We have uh, more... Um, regulations than yeah. any other place in the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need housing more here than anywhere yeah, else, not right. just cause it's what I do, but it's also if you look at the price mm-hmm. and you look at the availability yeah. and look at the size of our population, mm-hmm. we need to do more. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's, I spend a lot of my time every day though is different. Mm-hmm. I deal with a massive diversity of issues mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. species to water systems, to education, oh, to codes, to environmental strategies to financial issues. It's a very um, broad base. And I love that because I have a very inquisitive mind mm-hmm. and it keeps me uh, keeps me active. You don't want to get bored. Not at all. It sounds like there's no opportunity
1: <laughs> for boredom at work for you.
2: Not at, not at this time yeah. in my life.
1: Well, hey, um, so you've been involved in California politics. I don't know if that's been your entire career, but I think as long as I've known you, that that has been kind of the trajectory of your work life. Um, how do you pr- approach your role in your professional life as a believer in Christ? It it kind of seems like California politics is seems like a completely different world mm-hmm. than than Christ's kingdom, right? So, how do you maintain fidelity to Christ and be successful in the world of politics?
2: Well, I have a couple great examples of how to do that effectively. And the worlds in which they lived in were even more complicated than mine. Hmm. Uh, two come to mind. One is this individual we call Joseph. Mm-hmm. Another is an individual we call Daniel. Mm-hmm. No relationship to mm-hmm. me on the second one. My legal name is actually Dan, which is a shame. Oh gosh. Daniel's better than Dan, if you know the history of <laughs> yeah. of uh, the tribes. Mm-hmm. but um, Dan was a pretty wimpy tribe. Um, <laughs> but if you look at Joseph, I mean, sold into slavery. Uh, you know, basically, a man of honor who gets thrown into jail for mm-hmm. not cheating on the right. uh, the head of the household's mm-hmm. wife, and yet ends up being the prime minister to a very, I guess, multi-god uh, mm-hmm. generation, mm-hmm. and no belief in the God, mm-hmm. and then Daniel, even more so. Um, so, for me, it's hard to be in politics and have Christianity in politics, but it's also yeah. what we do. It's yeah. all of us are involved in politics, even if we abstain from it, then mm. we're disin- you know, not involved. But for me, it's it's you have great examples. Mm-hmm. And even at the time of Christ, yeah. the way he didn't focus on politics, mm-hmm. but focused on the truth, but still respected governing authorities, mm-hmm. was to bring, you know, he, he worked with governing authorities for the sole purpose of, at least he didn't diss them, mm-hmm. for the sole purpose of bringing people to Christ. And I see that's a lot of what I get to do, too, mm-hmm. is showing people that people who follow our Christ followers still have a role in politics and can do so in a way that's edifying not only yeah. to the believer, but more importantly, to the non-believer. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Great.
2: Well, like, okay, for this month's podcast, you know,
0: topic, we're, we've been wrestling with, you know, the idea of the ordinances, right? And th- that's the baptism uh, believers experience, you know, upon professing Christ and then uh, the Lord's Supper what's wild about those, Dan, is, you know, both image the unity of the church body, but they also mark off or differentiate the body of Christ from the rest of the world, right? So they're boundary markers, you know, in that sense too. Uh, And what I'm trying to think through right now is if the body of Christ enjoys more unity than any other organism on the planet, Right? Why is it that me personally, if I get into a conversation with someone at the airport like I did uh, a few days ago on a connecting flight from Charlotte um, about politics and we agree, why do I have this rush or sensation of immense fraternity and family and on the same pageness versus when I meet a believer in Christ, sometimes that the uh, intensity of that enjoyment Uh, or unity or the felt sense of that, it's not as strong. What is it about politics that builds a kind of tribal unity so quickly?
2: I mean, part of it is because, as you pointed out so accurately, you expect tribal unity in the church. And in our society, at least today, you expect immense tribal disunity. So in and of itself, it's a great surprise when you connect with someone so instantly on a subject matter that generally speaking doesn't unify our country doesn't unify Mm. us. So it's like walking into a situation where everything goes the way you want it to. It just feels so good. Yeah. Especially if it's an environment where normally it just doesn't happen that way. Huh. And you know, we really do have tremendous tribalism. I love your term. In the US, I mean we used to be Americans. Right. And now we are, you know, we kind of have our little individual groups based on ethnicity, gender, sexual preference, where we come from, and of course I haven't even gotten into party politics. So we're into identity politics versus, I mean, we used to we used to believe in identity politics. It was like, I'm an American. Mm-hmm. I love my country. Mm-hmm. I live in America. So by definition, I'm a Christian, quotations right. added in the air. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, so now we're quite different. We don't yeah. see ourselves in that light. So when you meet someone who you instantly connect with on the political sphere, yeah, it's rather enjoyable and surprisingly enjoyable.
0: Oh my gosh, no, you're exactly right. And to that end then, all right, you who've had to swim in that, like in that world for a while, what does a spirit use to help you keep your kingdom identity the main thing for you and kind of avoid the pull toward that tribalism, especially in the crucible of you know, polarized politics?
2: Well, when you look at authority figures and you look at scripture, mm-hmm. um, scripture doesn't say, you know, pray for those in authority you agree with and forget about those you don't. right. And so I think part of it to that question is, you know, we are commanded as Christians. And for me, someone who's in the government sphere Mm -hmm. through the private sector lens, but I've served governors and legislators, the goal really is to look at them as placed there by Christ and desperately needing Christ, even if they're a Christian. i work Mm -hmm. for some members who are Christians, um, you know, still needing to be encouraged in their faith, encouraged to walk with the Lord, Mm -hmm. and encouraged to bring Mm -hmm. biblical and Christ like concepts to the world of politics. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. I think the other piece of this that I enjoy the most about it is if you look at at Christ, he really wanted to minister to the needs of people. Mm -hmm. And I think a gifted statesman or gifted stateswoman, if they're really truly trying to be a good leader in our country, are trying to meet the needs of people. And so, as a child, my dad wanted me to go in the ministry. I like politics, and I finally tried to convince him. They both minister to people, one with a really clear set of rules that is more uniting. Yeah. Another, though, in general terms, again, I mean, America was a country based on freedom, religious liberties, the ability to own a home and, you know, have your own little piece of America. And raise your family and, and, you know, live the American dream. And so for me, as I walked into it years ago, I, I just wanted to be part of that effort to make this a great place to live yeah. uh, from a government perspective, but also a great place to live from a where we can worship perspective, because yeah. religious freedom is our very first mm-hmm. amendment to the Constitution protecting that. So to me, it was inextricably linked to what I was trying to do as well. That makes so much sense,
0: uh, and especially what you were talking about with... Um, there's a even in god's common grace right there's a there's a pull toward a societal thriving and unity that ultimately you see the i think the biggest expression of in the lord's table right uh where democrat republican you know uh black white everyone can come and have that sort of unity in christ's kingdom together um but yeah that experience on uh flying home it reminded me how easy it is i think to bolster my spirit with sub-gospel forms of unity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Well, you know what? We're going to separate out communion or Lord's Supper from baptism and kind of take some time to talk about each. So, simple maybe, not so simple question. Uh, Can you give us a brief overview of what communion is and what it isn't?
2: So just building on... Your question as well as Cole's comments. I mean, communion is is built into its own word. It is bringing us together as a family. Right. It's the Lord's supper, the Lord's table. Um, it's it is a profound unifying experience for the body of Christ, um, both you know in, in the local church, but also globally, because um, we all come to the Lord's table whether we live here or in Kenya or mm-hmm. in Ukraine or Russia or wherever it might yeah. be, if we're believers. Um, the the table itself, just like when we get to baptism, I'll say the same thing. It's not a saving. Right. It doesn't save you. I mean, some people think if you've been sprinkled and take communion, holy communion, then this is kind of your path to heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a reflection of the path that you already are on. It's just right. a you know reminder of the path and to guide you closer to Christ. So communion is not you know a saving mechanism. Mm-hmm but it is a unifying mechanism and mm. the ability to recognize the profound salvation we receive from Christ.
0: That was what you said there was really meaningful. It's not a saving mechanism, but it is a unifying mechanism. That that's really meaningful cuz Beth, have you noticed this a lot of times there's a pressure amongst us as evangelicals to just say what communion and baptism don't do. Right. Yeah, it doesn't do right. this, doesn't do this, doesn't right, do this. Right, right. Well, then why do it? Like, what is the gracious right. reason for it? And I like what Dan's saying here is um, it front loads our unity in a way that we're forced to reckon with it too, I think. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it reminds us of our unity in Christ.
0: Exactly. Right. Exactly.
1: Um, so I, I've i been thinking a lot about maybe uh, what communion looked like to the early church, the church, let's say in Acts or in Ephesus. and maybe how we celebrate communion. So what do you think uh, the differences are between how we, what are we, 21st century Christians Mm -hmm. celebrate communion and how the early church celebrated? And then how are those significant?
2: So just trying to go back in memory in the context of biblical history and just a reminder of how we started out as a church. I mean, keep in mind it wasn't being a Christian wasn't a popular thing either for the state of Rome or Mm. for the state of Judaism. I mean, Christ was crucified because he offended not so much the secular figures, but he offended the religious figures. And he kind of had to, you know, the the religious figures had to kind of convince the secular figures, this is a bad guy because he wants to be the king of kings and, you know, that's competing with Caesar and with you. Mm -hmm. And they still are like washing their hands on this. Uh, you know, what do you want me to do with this guy? I can't find no fault in him. And so, I mean, there is this dynamic that being a Christian wasn't popular regardless of what, mm. whether you were a Roman or you were a Jewish leader. Right. So starting out with communion, it was it was not easily done. It wasn't mm. like, let's all put out an advertisement communion this right. Sunday. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was one of those things where it was done quietly and secret. I mean, you, don't, you yeah. have to go into the 300 ADs before you have a Christian leader. Right. And it, you know, just a little history there too. I think it was around 64, 65 AD. It was like, hey, uh, I lit the, half the, the estate on fire. Let's blame the Christians <laughs> right. and oh, then yes. burn them. Mm-hmm. So I mean, communion was a very sacred, secret, quasi-secret, yeah. solemn ceremony. Um, and, and because of the fact there was so much persecution, mm-hmm. I mean, you really had to have your bona fides. Mm. Um, this whole idea i love this brick by brick the catechism Mm -hmm. and again looking historically there was a sense you couldn't just walk in and do communion you had to prove yourself Mm -hmm. multiple years of catechism show your sincerity of your faith Mm -hmm. for two reasons one you you know when people walking in they're going to have you killed but two it's like hey this is not something you take lightly in a world that's so anti-christ yeah and so now to, to your other half of your question beth I mean, I do think that today we have to be careful that we don't trivialize it. Mm -hmm. One, we don't have everybody standing with uh, Roman fatigues on saying, hey, let's um, see who's really a Christian here and let's uh, change. We may want to arrest them because Mm -hmm. they express their faith. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, something, too, where it becomes perfunctory or can be. And Mm -hmm. I love the Behold Sunday concept because on its face, it's let's take a deep breath and behold what we're doing here, Um, reminding ourselves that, I mean, this is something you do solemnly. You can do it with great unity and joy, but it's also something that is a profound statement of our faith. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that sense, they're both similar, but and I don't think any of us walk out of here looking to left or right, wondering, will right. I be shot by oh. right. the government that's in charge today? Or will other religious leaders, whether it's Islam or mm-hmm. Catholicism or whatever, say, you know, how dare you associate as a Christ follower? Mm-hmm. That day may come, but we're not there at all. Right. Right. Well, it makes perfect sense too
0: why um, why communion or the Lord's table beca- uh, was really functioning as kind of the border, the exact borderline of where people even kicking the tires on the Jesus movement uh, had to stop, and where people who were all in could proceed to, because that's sort of that was sort of the point of no return, you know, around the Lord's table. And it's easy to forget that partially. I think, through the kind of modes we use for communion, right? Uh, so in other words, to what degree, Dan, do you think the way we approach the Lord's table, even with uh, the materials present, can affect our experience or distract us or not distract us from the reality at hand? Because, okay, I, for example, I came from a church that was kind of liturgical in a way. And so we had like, uh, you had a guy holding a loaf of bread and a, a guy holding a chalice of wine and juice. And you'd, with no nobody had hand sanitizer. We'd you know, rip off a piece of the same bread, everybody, people who trim their nails, people who don't trim their nails, right? We then dip it in the deal and you would rip it off and they'd say, the body of Christ broken for you. And then you dip it in the, one of the chalices and they'd say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, so is do we have challenges post-COVID on ways we approach the Lord's table can signify our unity together? Because we are kind of more conscious of germs and, you know, viruses and things of that nature?
2: I mean, clearly COVID has made it difficult to gather. And, you know, I mean, for me sitting on my couch yeah. and I couldn't find grape juice, so I'm drinking apple juice. Right. And right. I find some cracker I use for cheese. And, you know, um, it does can trivialize it if you're not careful. Like, do we have anything we can do to use for communion? Mm -hmm. Um, I do know that even as elders coming back in and just handing people even these plastic sanitized cups and saying the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, a lot of people are like, hey, I really appreciate that. And it's very simple, but it is kind of a a nice way of calling out to a believer why we're here and doing it. Um, I mean, just looking at this historically, and my understanding is in the early church, they came forward, they literally kind of duplicated more the feeding of the 5,000.
0: Mm-hmm. That was that was common.
2: Five loaves, two fishes, yeah. and they would then break it and kind of remember, one, the miracle, the profound miracle of yeah. Christ, but also kind of this sense of truly being at a table. Yeah. And because obviously the, the Lord served the communion, through you know the the wine and the and the bread, but I'm assuming they ate mm-hmm. other things that night. So they mm-hmm. kind of viewed it as a family table, mm-hmm. yeah, um, a family eating table. Of course, these are the two symbolic tools to communicate the the yes. body and the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So a little more communal, a little more family, a little more dinner oriented. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, just to your point, I mean, looking way back, the the body, the bread was. Some believe that was truly the actual body of Christ and the big issues of argument with mm-hmm. Catholicism, Protestantism, mm-hmm. but it was as if though a crumb hit the floor it was to be viewed as more precious than gold. Mm. Oh, and wow. no crumb was to ever leave your hand. Now, we have these little mm. tiny crackers. So they usually don't right. break apart.
1: There are no crumbs. <laughs> there are no crumbs. <laughs> right. but,
2: and to your point, I mean, breaking bread, it was very, very carefully mm. regulated so that no crumb would hit the floor. Yeah. Because you are, in a sense, with the holy body of Christ, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you should not trivialize this in any manner. So to your point, we do tend to make it a little antiseptic and a little yeah. separated. I mean, there is a value in just looking at your brother or sister in Christ who mm-hmm. serves you and realizing what, are we, what we're doing here and, yeah. and the profundity of it, too. And speaking to the profundity... It...
1: Hold on, gentlemen. Fire away. What the heck is profundity?
0: that's all the time we have.
2: No, kidding. Uh, (laughs) How important it is. Yes.
0: So, no, that's, that's fair. So, all right, to that end, here's a fun thought experiment, uh, Dan, I was thinking through. What would happen if, what do you think would happen across time in local churches if they just stopped doing the Lord's supper? Like over time, what do you, what effect do you think that would have on the spiritual formation that takes place there?
2: Well, I think that would be sad, and it would be impactful, I mm-hmm. mean, because of the unifying event of it, mm-hmm. but also, I mean, if you really think about communion, when we take communion, we should, you know, try to grasp it in our own way, yeah. but the truth of what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. how important this is to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. It's Christ before his crucifixion mm-hmm. explaining to his disciples, mm-hmm. I'm about one of you is going to betray me, Yeah. and then I'm going to go and be crucified, and I'm going to conquer death, mm-hmm. and you still don't get that, but I'm going to do it, yeah. and all of you are going to deny me, we always pick on Peter, but yeah. he was the only guy around to deny, oh, completely. the other 10 yeah. were gone, yeah. and the other one hung himself, so yeah. it was like, Peter was around just denying he was around, mm-hmm. the others weren't even around. Right.
1: Well, Peter and the women...
2: Oh, just we have, have women always. Yeah. Yeah, excuse yeah. me, yeah. of the yeah. disciples, yeah. you are right. And catch. the same thing with the resurrection. Right. Dude, it was the women it, who were yeah. like, "Let's uh, go take care of Jesus," yeah. and the men are hiding. Yeah, in dude. some building. Talk about big chickens, man. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the what we would lose is the recognition of what yeah. was so powerful of that night. It wasn't just. I mean, we love communion, celebrating it, but we love it because of what happened yeah, after right. communion and the power of the blood and mm. body of Christ. I mean, that is what is all about communion. This is salvation. This is changing the course of yeah. the universe, and this is freedom from death. And you know what's so cool about the way you laid that out? It's,
0: yes, it is salvation, and what's cool, even in the Last Supper, which is, you know, functioning as a template for communion, it's being served equally to those in the zealot party, right, who think, even to some extent, even targeted as would be so extreme to think targeted assassinations were, you know, admissible means to uh, get Rome off their back, coupled with people who wouldn't be in that boat at all and would be maybe even prone to sympathize with Rome or at least uh, capitulate or take that lying down. So you had this even political diversity, you know, amongst Jesus' disciples and to everyone, he's saying, take, this is my body.
1: So this like the, the Republicans and the, the Democrats? Democrats?
0: Kind of all, you know, what a concept. Yeah. Around the common shared table together that points to the future of how we'll be feasting with Christ in the new heavens and new earth. Like it would be tremendously awful to lose that imagery as a church because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, have you ever noticed, uh, there are, I think to myself, there are people I could argue with here or have a frank exchange of ideas with all day long, but it's neat when I approach the Lord's table that all goes away because mm-hmm. we're all beggars trying to get at the same bread at the Lord's table. And it's like it's coming in out of the wind almost, you know, but I don't know. What do you think, Beth?
1: <laughs> I I think you're right. And I can't help but think about uh, what even a shared meal around a table with other believers is like, you know, looking each other in the eye and, and talking about deep things of faith or... Uh, the way God has provided for right. us. Yes, in the food we're eating, but also yeah. um, for our souls too. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think that, yes, communion, taking that simple juice and bread is important. But also sharing a meal with each other right. is deep and meaningful also. Yeah. It's
2: like a gather group to me, doesn't it, Cole? Huh. Wow. <laughs> well, listeners, we've hit that time again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Click here to find a gather group near you.
1: Cole, did you pay him?
0: You know, pay no attention to that. That's a that bag of laundry. P- pile of
1: cash on the table. <laughs> Not a
0: pile of cash. They're tracks.
1: Oh, chick tracks? Uh, okay, no. anyway. All right. So let's, let's switch gears a little um, and talk some about baptism. Mm-hmm. So kind of the same question. What is it and what is it not?
2: So as I said before, I mean, baptism is not a saving um, exercise. It's a recognition of salvation. Um, and I say the one because so many people will say to me, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I was Mm -hmm. baptized as an infant. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's important to recognize, um, that it is though a recognition of your salvation Mm -hmm. and it is a statement to the world of your allegiance to Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, love that term. And, you know, it is the, the, the death, burial and resurrection signified. And it's the tri- tr- Trinity, the triune God, mm-hmm. God the the Father, God, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, so it is a unifying factor again, mm-hmm. and it's it's more celebratory. i mean we we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We don't really when we celebrate the death because of its power, right. but we're not happy that Christ was crucified right. other than for its salvation, but mm-hmm. we don't find joy in that. Mm-hmm. It was great tragedy. And so when you look at, Baptism is more celebratory. Mm-hmm. It's a recognition of all those components, but it's a recognition of you you have been chosen by God, mm-hmm. you have faith in his son, you're blessed and indwelling indwelt by the spirit as you step into baptism. Mm-hmm. And you're telling your family, your friends, the world, I- I'm committed to God, to Christ, and indwelled by the Spirit, and I'm here to say that, and mm-hmm. I'm here to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you know, arcade is it's, it's liturgical in that we do it the same way every time and that we celebrate it, but right. it's not traditional.
0: Yes. And yeah. that That's we're much m-
2: much more exuberant in our mm-hmm. excitement. Everybody runs up there with their phones, yeah. and there's hugs and kisses, yeah. and it's a celebration. And we mm-hmm. applaud, mm-hmm. just as the angels applaud when someone has been saved, mm-hmm. we celebrate this recognition that the salvation is something I'm sharing now mm-hmm. with the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: can I ask an off-script question?
2: Absolutely. Not kidding.
1: Wait, uh, was that a yes? Or no? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, okay, so Dan and Cole, mm-hmm. tell us about when you were baptized.
2: So it was a long, long time ago. Um, it was in a little church in Southern California, mm-hmm. and I was so so young that I had to stand on a step stool. So okay. I'm you know oh. six foot four. Um, I remember it in the context that it was very scary for me because mm. I was around four and a half years old. Oh, wow, okay. Mm. Um, and very formalized. The pastor was an older gentleman, really old, like 60 or something. Oh, uh, yeah, ancient. Ancient. <laughs> Sorry, it's really hard to say that now. Um, and so I just remember being scared and kind of shaking, and, mm. and this is a very heavy thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really celebrate that in the same way. It was just okay. like baptized you had to give your testimony, mm-hmm. so you had to explain your personal relationship and your commitment. So mm-hmm. you would say to everyone, Here, here's how I found the Lord, or how the Lord yeah. found me. Mm-hmm. And then we had to memorize a verse mm-hmm. and say it, and then we had to express that we are following Jesus. Mm-hmm. So baptized, came back up. Um, it wasn't, you know, we didn't have a party afterwards. Yeah. It was just going home and had you know, lunch together. yeah. yeah. But to me, it was just, you know, for me as a 4 year year four-and-a-half-year-old, it was pretty heavy stuff. Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: What about you, Cole?
0: Uh, The big thing I remember um, when I was baptized was it was this strange thought that I can't baptize myself. Like, this isn't something I can go, here, guys, pull the car around. I'm going to be a minute. I'm going to go dunk myself. And the image we're given from the New Testament is that it's a passive, it's an action we receive. Yeah. I'm baptized
1: mm.
0: and there has to be another set of hands mm-hmm. to, in a sense to lay me in the grave and to pull me out of that watery grave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though I was really, um, you know, still piecing together, you know, different parts of my faith and, you know, fresh off of a church camp and all of that. Um, the big takeaway was, Oh, it makes, this makes no sense for me to go do myself. Right. I can't just right. whip this out yeah. real quick yeah. and then we can go. Yeah. Um, so the, That's the big thing I took away from that. And I think in a lot of ways that helped over time, that was kind of a time bomb that helped me even understand the gospel even more as something ultimately I was receiving. It's receiving action. It's not just, yeah, something I was able to, you know, dot an I and cross a T on. Mm, What about you?
1: Well, uh, it's funny. I remember this so clearly. I wasn't quite as young as you, but I think I was about six years old. I was a first grader. And our church had Sunday night service, Mm -hmm. and we always had an altar call, so we were probably singing either "Just as I Am" or Mm -hmm. "I Surrender All" Mm because those are altar call songs. And i I still remember this compulsion Mm
2: -hmm.
1: of the spirit that you know the pastor would stand up in the front and you know say, "If you want to receive salvation, Mm -hmm. or rededicate your life, or be baptized, you know come forward." And it was always very solemn, and I, I. I couldn't stay in the pew. Yeah. I didn't tell my parents what I was doing. I just walked forward. Wow. It was yeah. like I I had to go tell mm-hmm. the pastor mm-hmm. I was getting baptized. Mm-hmm. So um, the day we were supposed to have baptism, the heater in the baptismal went out. And it was sure. like November. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, no. And I still got baptized. <laughs> I, lo- like, I actually love that. <laughs> still got baptized.
1: Yeah. And again, it was not... We didn't clap in the church I grew up in because they believed you were giving... Honor to someone other than the Lord when you clapped. Ah, oh. um, so there were probably some amen, amen, you know, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. serious amens. But um, that that compelling of the Spirit is yeah. just what I remember mm-hmm. more than anything from my baptism. That's great. Uh, well, and if,
0: I was thinking too, you know, if, if, even from the early church experience of baptism, uh, it would be common for people to wonder oh, I wonder what he's having to leave behind mm-hmm. as someone, as mm-hmm. a what they'd call you know a catechumen, would be lined up and be ready to be dunked right there's a sense that you were you might be burning the bridge on support structures who did not you know oh, were not okay with your faith and the way you know this new burgeoning you know Jewish splinter movement you know this weird mutation out of second temple judaism it's like that had to feel weird to walk away from everything you knew um and it's strange to think that that has always been the experience of baptism. It's not just me dying. I'm also dying to a lot of what I used to know or call my normal life. Um, and so something I was wondering is, what at, at this table here, what, what have we had to walk away from in order to be identified with Jesus? Or is that something that's harder for us as American Christians in the 21st century to identify with, mm-hmm. that sense of, What smoldering wreck am I leaving behind um, and what consequences will follow because I'm publicly
2: identifying with Jesus, you know? Yeah, from the 21st century American Christian, not much Mm -hmm. relative Mm -hmm. to his history, the history you pointed out, Cole. I mean, at that point... I mean, just separating herself from traditional Old Testament Judaism was profound. Mm-hmm. And because Christ was crucified by the Jewish leadership of the church because he was heretical, he claimed to be God, mm-hmm. and he claimed to forgive sins, mm-hmm. and he healed on the Sabbath. Sabbath. Can you believe that?
1: How dare he? How
2: dare he? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Fish even my eyeglass out <laughs> of my <laughs> champagne. Sorry. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, that piece, and yes. then also just, again, the Roman culture really mm-hmm. did not accept it. And then even in the first and second century, you know, hunted down and killed. I mean, you have Paul before he, when he was Saul, that was his sport. Mm -hmm. was finding these Christians and doing away with them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that piece is different. But today, outside of America, I mean, you have people in the, you know, Muslim community, Hindu community, others who, as you pointed out, are leaving family, they're leaving inheritance or ability to come to Mm -hmm. the the religious holidays and Mm -hmm. celebrate to being written out of the, the the family itself, the will, and so for us, I mean, it depends too on the life one might have lived. As a four and a half year old, I wasn't in, into too much trouble. Yeah. And right. Bath, as a six year old, you, I yeah. mean, as an older yeah. gentleman, yes, mm-hmm. but it, so you might be leaving behind some of the friends that. Yeah didn't, you know, you might still desire to be with them, but you're not going to live the same lifestyle right. with them. And that's going to maybe be awkward, or maybe yeah. it's inquisitive, depending on mm, the, that's a the, good word for the that. role for the spirit. Yeah, um, And some families too, even in America, it's like, you know, you're one of those religious people. And mm-hmm. does that mean you voted for a president versus another president right. or whatever? Right. Because we tend to to politicize Christianity in this country. Mm-hmm. And so you're one of them versus one of those. Mm. And, and that there might be some impact um, but again, I don't think anybody's going to string you up and, yeah. you know, put you at the stake and burn you on the American side of things. In Islam and Muslim community, mm-hmm. you very well could be killed. Well, that even makes sense, too, with um, the
0: layered identity we have as Christians. And maybe this is something you can speak to, Dan, a lot, because if, the whole thing is crazy if you think about it, right? And even in high church traditions, typically the baptistry has been at the front of the church because. It's the entry to the church, right? And so they put it literally at the front because it's saying that this, you are joining, in a sense, the community of Christ, the true and better country of Hebrews. Uh, you're enjoy you you've embarked on living in the foreshadowing of that, and so it's a country that's been mapped onto the world, and it cuts across all these different barriers and lines and so forth. Um, the one off the cuff question I had was like, have how have you wrestled with your complicated identity as a Christian, being in the political sphere, but being as one who's baptized into your true
2: country? You know, like how do you keep that straight? When I think of what C.S. Lewis has said, and then when we we kind of view ourselves the question of why would God create people who could sin? He didn't want to have robots. He wanted people yeah. who actually loved him out of choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and you saw this from Chris's comment that we're kind of an outpost yes. in a hostile world. And so, I mean, that's just the reality of the world we live in. Hmm. I mean, politics tends to exaggerate it because it's amplified and it's, you know, put uh. in front of TV more so, but we still see the ugliness of bombings in Ukraine today, you know, the death of children at a childcare center in, in in Malaysia. I mean, the world has is very well infiltrated by Satan mm-hmm. and Lucifer and that whole process. Yeah. Politics, it's almost like you're paid to be that way. You're <laughs> rewarded to be that way. Mm-hmm. I mean when you think of a Christ like servant like, non authoritarian, non lording over leadership, oh, my that's bird. not the standard American political forum. Huh. But it's as Christ was evidenced um, it's a, a forum and a form that is very attractive and actually is very impactful people yeah. find you know the idea that you come to somebody and love them regardless of their religious persu- their mm-hmm. religious persuasion mm-hmm. or their, their political persuasion their gender preference and say hey you you are a, cre- a creature and creation of Christ mm-hmm. and I love you um, that changes how you look at politics and that's not how politics generally works in the. US. But it is certainly how, from a Christ follower, that's how I try to look at it. It's not always easy, Mm -hmm. but I really do try to look at it that way. And I think for that reason, you can be far more effective because you can talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. Huh. I dig that. I dig that.
1: For sure. Um, Okay, so we've talked a little bit about allegiance. And Mm -hmm. um, baptism should be a declaration of allegiance, right? We're declaring our allegiance to Christ. We're letting everyone Mm -hmm. know I've, I'm dead Mm -hmm. to myself and I'm alive in Christ. Um, so speaking of allegiances, it seems as if Christians in America have professed allegiance to people or ideals or organizations that don't line up with allegiance to Jesus. Um, and before anyone gets upset, this isn't a right problem or a left right. problem. It's kind of an us problem, mm-hmm. right? It's across the spectrum. So, uh, Dan, how do you think we got
2: here? Well, part of it is we find our political views or ethnocentric views, like where we come from, as more defining than our, our faith in Christ. Part of it's because, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere you go, you know you're an American, or you know you're a Canadian, or you know whatever you are, mm-hmm. um, and yet in reality... If you go back to the creation of the earth, the line between Mexico and the United States wasn't drawn by God. Right. Um, he may have put, you know, some of the waterways and water systems, a mm-hmm. Colorado river he may have drawn from heaven, but he did not draw. <laughs> uh, one part would be Mexico, one part yeah. would be the, the states. Mm-hmm. So we are very self-centered, this ethnocentric mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I love America. I'm a proud American. Mm-hmm. I was in the Air Force. i love, you know, I have no problem saluting our flag. Yeah. And yet, I mean, it's a new country, 250, 270 years old, and God forbid, but if America would become Pluto in a different location, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Christ is still king. Um, And so even if, you know, the Democrats are running the presidency or Republicans or an independent member, or if it's a dictator in a foreign country running it, Christ is still king. Right. And so I think that's, but it's hard to do that because we get very consumed by the temporal and the visible and physical. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to look at an immigrant as a image bearer of Christ if they're sleeping on your front yard. Mm. And, you know, and there are laws and ways to manage countries that maybe work better, but it's Christ's view of this is much more eternal. Mm -hmm. Ours is much more, you know, specific to our beliefs, our country, our ideology, our personal ideology. And we find that to be more comforting sometimes Mm. than even the truth of scripture, just because I'm seeing the homeless person on my neighborhood. Mm. I'm not thinking about this necessarily through the lens of Christ, uh, unless I really have to step back and think about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't always want to do that.
1: Right. You know, it's interesting you say we we want something that's visible. In kids ministry on Sunday, we talked about um, kind of this battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And the whole reason they got there was because there was this evil king who convinced the Israelites that this image that they could actually see and touch and uh, I don't know carry around with them
2: mm-hmm.
1: was realer mm-hmm. than the one true God, and it seems like we're right back we're right back there we're right back there where we're we're dancing and singing and begging something other than God to provide for us or to perform a miracle or to be God and yeah. god well, is yeah. is still God, even though we can't see him
0: well you no, know, that's such a good point and That made me think of this, Dan, like, why, why is it such an instinct for us as Americans to do that more? Okay. You know, for example, I used to have a good friend, he was from Sweden. He didn't like wring his hands every time there was a change of political, you know, uh, powers in Sweden on whether or not the church was going to be Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something that happens everywhere where the, um, a sense of Christian destiny and the state of the church on the earth is seen um, to be hanging in the balance with an election. That, but that's something we do. Our tribe does a lot. Why is that?
2: You know, part of it, I mean, you have to go back. So religion and politics have been around since the foundation of our country, and candidly, mm-hmm. they've been around for forever. Um, I mean, pharaohs believed in gods yeah. and use that to control people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can say this because I've worked directly for very powerful figures. Mm-hmm. Politicians are very smart people <laughs> and they know mm-hmm. how to play to your emotions. Mm-hmm. And huh. the greatest motive, you know, we, I have to motivate you in this country and pretty much every country oh, wow. to get out and vote. If huh. your religious liberties are taken away from you, if your ability to worship the way you're yeah. comfortable is gonna be altered. Which are, which are important. Which are very important. You're yeah. gonna be very compelled to engage. So politicians will use these powerful emotions mm-hmm. and they'll use the issue of families and they'll use the issue of choice. They'll use the issues of where you live and how you live, whether or not you can determine who your neighbors are or can't. Right. All these things are motivating factors. It's just that in, in the modern era, we've kind of moved this to a whole new level of science. Nixon was the first one to use it and really, as president really try to segregate out the Christian community and create a block of voters Interesting. And because others would, you know, remember John F. Kennedy was a Catholic Mm -hmm. and there's a Pope going to run America. I'm a big concern because the Pope, you know, technically is more powerful than the president. Right. So who's in charge? Mm. So we've used this for decades, but 60s on, we've really used it as a dividing, defining and motivational tool. And that's why it's more prevalent than it usually is. And it, it, it's wild to think about, too,
0: because it's like, I know we're not the first to do it, right? So you think of like Jerome uh, freaking out, you Who's know, uh, uh, old church kind of theologian guy, basically. okay. okay? Uh, and during the fall of Rome, he is, I mean, losing his junk because, you know, the barbarians and everyone else are taking over this empire and it's sort of fracturing. And he's saying, well, how, the, how is the church on the earth going to function now? Rome is, Rome's gone or it's going away and there are bodies in the street. What's gonna be left of the kingdom, you know? So I, you're right, it's, it's, that is as old as the hills. Um, but what really struck me about what you said, Dan, was the fact that we forget politicians are, even for good, right? They're masters of... Uh,
1: Manipulation? Ma- yeah,
0: w- yeah, or at the very least, motivating the will. Right to get someone out and vote, I have to convince them. Yes, yeah, stand in the line, uh, get registered, leave work, come back, find someone to watch the kids. Right, there's I'm I have to coax them beyond five or six different barriers just to get involved. Um, and so, did, does that does the fact that they have to do that almost play into you know the cycle of in a sense fear based? Uh, motivations and appeals, like if that's what it takes to get us motivated, do we have the political system and the leadership that we made in a sense? Is it self-referential?
2: Yeah, it is in some ways. I mean, we, we really have created a system that's, you know, it's a republic, it's not a yeah. democracy. Yes, we have totally. representatives who we want to take care of us and think about these issues on a daily basis so we can go on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have created a system to try to help motivate people to get out and vote and to try to find people who best represent most of their views. Nobody agrees with everybody. Right. So in that sense, we do that. I mean, in a dictatorship, it's a lot easier. Oh, man. My motivation is purely fear. Right. And, you know, I may... I mean, I will try to give you money and food so you'll... Be less likely to get rid of me as dictator. Yes. But you know, here we change offices. We every eight years for president. Mm-hmm. We have a system that tries not to embody too much power right. into one person too long. Mm-hmm. And so we recognize, amazingly enough, yeah. that men and women in politics um, generally, if they get a lot of power, will keep it and maybe not use it perfectly, even if they mm. use it in a way you agree with. So yeah. we try to create a system that yeah. recognizes that we're not going to try to perpetuate power. Mm. I mean, you do have dynasties, the Bushes, the Kennedys, sure. whatever. But generally speaking, yeah. we try to break those down, you mm. know, and even the Clintons couldn't replace themselves and Jeb Bush couldn't come back right. after George W. Bush mm. because Americans wanted somebody different. So we have set it up to recognize the frailty of man, but the frailty of man is still guided by people who, whether mm. they're selling snake oil right. or selling a serious political platform, yeah. more freedom, less government. More government, more freedom. Mm-hmm. They can sell the same thing with mm-hmm. different forms of government huh. because of what yes. you how you see the lens of what they say to you. And I mean the American political system is clearly flawed, but it's still the it's best still system the best thing out, thing out there. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So it's interesting, Cole, you brought up Jerome and his fear that Rome was crumbling and yeah. we're going the church is gonna fall apart. Mm-hmm. It seems like we forget mm-hmm. that our savior
0: yeah.
1: rode into town on a baby donkey.
0: Yeah, there is that. That's all the time we have, everyone. <laughs> no. Um, no, right. There's a, there's a meekness to this, and this is where I. This is where it's hard, guys. Like total confession, right? Um, it's hard to know how do I orient myself in a politically charged world if the gospel is the most important thing to me. Because uh, you know there'll be times where you know I'll look at Paul, and Paul will have you know in the scriptures like this sort of you know, am I being detained moment where he's like, you know, I have rights because I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to see, you know, so it's like, there are times that in a sense, um, political identities, they're not just tolerated, they're embraced Mm -hmm. and even leveraged for like gospel impact. Um, and that's where I, I just, I think my biggest failings as a Christian are it's, um, I've almost gone to, I only know, I only know how to make bad come from this, like the political enterprise. Therefore, I probably should engage. What's a better way forward as we're thinking through that, a healthier way?
2: I mean, the healthiest way is to educate yourself, not just accept the, the Twitter, the social media, the simplistic statements. Mm-hmm. I mean, having run campaigns and work on campaigns, I will find a flaw in everyone and, you know, do my best to you know, scare you about that politician Mm -hmm. so you won't vote for them, or try to engender love and appreciation and respect so you will, Mm -hmm. and yet you need to look at their true record. The hard part about Americans is we're lazy. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. mean, we kind of like, oh, that's a Republican, I'm a Republican, I'm voting for him. Well, is that really the right person? Is that Mm. an honorable person? Wow. Well, it's a Democrat, I'm voting for him because I'm a Democrat. Have I really? Have they told me what they believe in? Where they're at? Have, you know, I assume that they believe the same way I do because that's my party. Mm-hmm. But maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I mean, we really don't spend time looking at the legislation they introduce. Huh. How many people go? You can easily go to the, a website of the California State Assembly. Pull up your assembly member. Just type in your zip code. Yeah. And then pull up their name, and then look at the bills they introduce. Mm. It takes you about thirty seconds. But do we do that? And like well, what does this guy or gal really stand for? We do it like our cable bill. Like we yep. like to bundle everything. Yep. Let's get
0: our home phone and you know HBO in there. Like And
1: when was the last time you actually looked at your cable bill, right? It's just like, oh, it's automatically deducted <laughs> right. and we just pay it every single month. It's like that. I'm if I'm a Republican, I just go yeah. down the line and check all the R's off and huh. here we are.
2: It is you know, taking the time, it's we really have become somewhat I guess, disjointed from the reality of the importance of it. Mm -hmm. So as Christians, I mean, I I realize, and it's interesting for me, in a leadership role at the church, a lot of people are like, hey, we should be more political. And other people are like, hey, we should be less political. Um, And so we should be engaged citizens. Mm -hmm. We should live peaceably. We should respect authority. We can become authority. We can become the authority figure. It's okay to do that. You can have a believer in the White House. That's important. Have a non-believer in the White House. So, I mean, we have that right, but we also, the Bible doesn't say you shall in no way Mm. engage with Caesar. Mm -hmm. You should not give anything to Caesar. That's not what Jesus said. There are things that belong to Caesar you give to him, there are things that belong to God you give to. So you are paralleling both worlds. The question is, what is your filtering system? Is it the Republican ideology, Mm. the Democratic ideology, or is it Jesus's truth statements that drives what you believe? Because both parties... Then you go outside of America, all parties have things that pull away from the teaching of scripture, mm-hmm. Yeah. whether it's, you know, Republicans don't care about the poor enough, right. and Democrats don't care about your freedom enough to do what you want or not do mm-hmm. what you want. Um, so it's, you know, I've learned that I can make any... I mean, hardcore communism that totally denigrates the teaching of God as an existence, a little more difficult, but you still have massive growth of Christianity in China, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you still have it in Russia, because God's still in charge. Putin's not in charge, he's not in charge, God's still in charge. So, I mean, those are some of the things that I just... But I do think we get very lazy, and we need to take the time to do our homework, and not a lot of time, Mm -hmm. just some time.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Beth, uh, have you ever noticed... Okay. You've been, been, uh, I
0: feel like a lot, you've spent a lot of time, you know, south of the border in Mexico with, you know, missions, stuff like that. A little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, Have you noticed that the American political uh, system, and again, I'm grateful for it, but with Democrat and Republican, you know, cycles, um, there's kind of this, it's this cookie cutter mold that everybody who's basically right of center pretends to be on, par- on board with a Republican platform and everyone left to center, pretends to be in the Democratic, okay with that platform. And so you have a lot of people temporarily adopting a platform that they only agree with like 30 or 40% of. If that, right. Right. Whereas right. like, if you were to look in like a British parliamentary system, there's a Labor Party, there's a, you know, Tory, you know, part, all that. Um, I've seen that where... It, it contributes to the, to the rapid polarization because, I, in a sense, at the end of the day, if I want my quote-unquote vote to count, I have to go either to this camp or to this camp. Um, was it always like that, Dan? Like, what, has it always been that um, extreme or, like, should we expect at a certain point uh, almost a third party as a blowout valve um, from the hyperpolarization we've had as a country?
2: So, it's pretty much always been that way, um, back to seventeen eighty nine um, We have a structure that really benefits from a two party system, mm. but to your point, a parliamentary system going have fifteen parties. Mm. It's really hard I mean, right now. one of my friends is trying to form an independent party, and he needs to get forty thousand individuals to sign wow. on to it and it's really, really difficult mm-hmm. um so the, the structure of our system is really for two parties. Mm. Uh, the British Parliament, Italian Parliament, you go through Europe, it's very multi-party centered Got it. and not getting too much into the public policy world. we It's not uncommon for us, and this may very well happen, within 30 days where we'll have a Republican Congress, at least the lower house, mm-hmm. and a Democrat president. Parliamentary system is the party that rules, selects the king, the mm-hmm. prime minister, the president, we call him a prime minister. Mm-hmm. So different concept. We... Our system really distrusts politicians, mm. and the idea of having warring parties right. who don't don't get anything done, people are so frustrated. Yeah, that's what we wanted. That's a, that's not a bug. That's a feature. <laughs> that's a feature because kings are corrupt. Right. They're mean. They tax. They mm-hmm. kill. They conscript. They send yes. you to war, and so when politicians do that, you just vote them out of office.
0: So there's a biblically informed anthropology and a distrust of humanity built into our system, in a sense that's. Probably a fairly good idea.
2: I mean, politicians are basically evil because man is basically evil. We're not picking right. on politicians. Right. Our system effectively said that people who are given power tend to abuse it. And if they don't, then, you know, we reelect them. And But even if they're really good, I mean, George Washington was offered the kingdom, mm-hmm. he took the presidency, he was offered multiple terms, he took two. Hmm. And that set the course of our country. FDR kind of broke it, but we wrote a rule so that can't happen again. And so, I mean, that was. Our mm-hmm. Our culture was we generally don't trust these people, and right. so let's make it so they're not too powerful. Ha huh. And dysfunction's actually a built into the system because if you got everybody going in the same direction huh. all the time doing everything the same way, that minority party would be obliterated. Mm. Oh wow, and that's we want that minority party to still have a voice, even if it's generally wrong from your perspective of being in the majority. And amazingly enough, that minority party four years later could be the majority party. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what happens in our country. Mm -hmm.
1: What a crazy world we live in. It is.
2: No (laughs) joke.
1: (laughs) All right, so should we we ask the next question? I like the next question. Do it. Are we missing something in our discipleship? Thinking back to, okay, hold on, Mm -hmm. rewind. Mm -hmm. So thinking back to our allegiances, to people, ideals, and organizations that don't line up with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, are we missing something? Do you think there's something in our discipleship we aren't, we aren't doing? Are we overemphasizing the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. What are we doing as a church, as parents, as citizens, to maybe either allow or encourage mm-hmm. these allegiances outside of
2: Jesus? Huh. So there's this great book called Brick by Brick. Um, I don't know if you two have heard yeah, of it. I've...
0: Have you heard of that as, as though in a dream.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it really comes down to catechism. It comes down to training up our children. So yes, there's more we can do. Uh, creating foundational learning through scripture. Mm-hmm. As simple as like, duh, we should all be doing that. Right. But we, do we really fill the mind of our children? And this is something as a parent, I, could, I can always see where I could have done more here. Same. Oh, yeah. Creating the foundation <laughs> yeah. of scripture because it's not just who you vote for. It's how you live your life. It's how you work. It's how you play, it's how you choose a mate, mm-hmm. it's how you raise your children, it's how you treat your neighbors, that's mm-hmm. the second most important command. Oh, yeah. So all those things are, when you look at it, you answer your question, yes, but there are mechanisms, and I'm not just playing because yeah. you wrote it, having a basic understanding of who is God and what is my relationship to Him mm-hmm. and how should I live my life, how then shall we live, mm-hmm. uh, what is mere Christianity. There are some good books out there yeah. that you can... Obviously, the Bible, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do we... So we really do tend to discount the most, let not say the most obvious, because it's not obvious, there's a lot of distraction, mm-hmm. but, you know, in raising children, if they get into a tough situation, the first thing that comes to mind is Scripture, yeah. Yeah. it changes everything versus what does TikTok say, or right. better text my friend, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to cheat? Because we got this test for free.
0: Right, or, right. Versus, you know, I yeah. mean...
2: What are those life choices? You go to college and there are no rules. It's like, I can yeah. drink till I pass out mm-hmm. and the opposite sex or the same sex is attracted to me and it's yeah. okay. Right. Um, so, I mean, but if you have a biblical foundation, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a foundation upon which truth can be built and wise decisions can occur. Mm-hmm. So I know as a parent, I can do more. And even though I have older children, I can still continue to work to point them back right. to Christ right. and to admit ignorance. Like, I don't know. Uh, but let's think about what the Bible might right. say in this yeah. context. How do I live my life mm-hmm. on these tough issues of the day that I never had to think about, but my kids right. have to confront. Right. Yeah. Not only do they have to they confront, but they have to be told, you shall do this. Oh, right. wow. As opposed to like, what's that issue? I never even heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where now that's not only the issue that they need to understand, they need to accept, adopt, and live. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, they're considered hateful, bigoted, yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just a different approach. Yeah. Man.
0: I, I can't help it. Beth, do you care if I, I had a random question pop in my brain? Like, I have to ask it. Okay. <clears throat>
2: I'm nervous. <laughs> I
0: too. <do>. All right. Bite <laughs> your bottom lip.
1: We can always Brace edit it, it
0: out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just hard edit to, like, the a- outro music. No, so, uh, Dan, what would... If there's anyone listening that, okay, loves Jesus, loves his church, and is considering a career in politics, what do you tell them? Like, you know... You're right, there's nothing that forbids a Christian from seeking office and and I think those who feel the spirit guiding them toward public office, they're desiring a good thing. you know it's a dangerous thing, but it's a good thing. What would you tell someone an
2: a believer who's aspiring uh or considering running for office? Me, already partially answered that question, so it happens often, and a lot of times. I'll get a question usually through one of the pastors, hey, would you mind talking to this person's kid because they're thinking of going into politics and right. is this a smart thing to do? And I always urge them to do it, to consider it, to I contemplate it. Uh, because again, I mean, Joseph, Daniel yes. changed kingdoms, um, the way they lived their lives. I don't want to. You know, seeing Beth here reminds me of the power of women. Yeah. I mean, Deborah, Deborah. These guys wouldn't go to battle without the woman in front. Right. She was the. You know, yeah. she was Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And and Esther too. Esther mm-hmm. too. I mean, Dude. taking on the kings when no, the king when nobody else had the courage to walk in yeah. the front, knowing her life was on the line, and changing the future of the Jewish yeah. family. Mm-hmm. So you have very powerful, significant men and women mm-hmm. who stepped up in really challenging times mm-hmm. where death was the likely outcome, not. I just lost my office. Right. I don't have my cushy pension. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. And I don't have somebody to drive me around, yeah, and I have yeah. a staff to take my clothes to the dry cleaner. What am I going to do?
1: What is that? We went in the <laughs> wrong <laughs> line of work,
2: Cole. Um, <laughs> Dude, what were we It's rethinking? like and the other thing too is yeah. your jokes are so much better when you're elected. I don't know why, but people <laughs> laugh at the worst jokes. Really? It's like yeah. It's like that's not funny. Oh, that, but he's a very powerful person. Ha, 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 So I mean, oh, that's it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. But um, I never noticed till now. Actually, now I'm going back and thinking. It's a, you know you'll see that in the. Soprano movie too. But anyways, I mean, the dynamic though for a person considering a life in a public service is how I see it. Mm-hmm. It's not politics. The public service is noble. It should be pursued. Right. And you, know, you should go into it with, with the Bible as a foundation, but you should also go into it. It's the most important verse, I think, for people in politics is what Christ said when he washed the feet of the disciples. Huh. What, what is my purpose here? It's not to lord over, it's to serve. If mm. our politicians of either party would step in saying, I want to serve you, I want to be your public servant, mm. I'm acquiring power to enhance your life, Right? not so I can dictate what I think is right, it just changes mm. the whole crucible. And the more people who are Christ followers, who serve as opposed to Lord over, yeah. it would change American politics. Whether they're on the left side of the spectrum mm. or the right, mm-hmm. it's not like, hey, how do I create a wedge issue so I can get reelected versus... Yeah. We have a bunch of immigrants at the border. Is there a solution? Mm. Well, don't offer a solution. You won't get reelected. Okay, let's create a non-solution so we get reelected. I mean, can we solve the problem? Can we put our heads together as Democrats and Republicans, left and right, and make education better? Our roads better, our schools better, whatever is better, our environment better, as opposed to trying to find polarizing terms, you know, and really working hard. We are not going to pass anything Right now, because we need to make sure we get, you know, we take over the legislature. So you got families struggling. Mm -hmm. And those are public servants, set that aside. They still play politics, but they make it a secondary choice versus a primary choice. choice. And that's why more Christians should consider it.
1: You know, you you brought up what Jesus said, you know, not to lord it over. And I'm Mm. thinking, what if, Mm. don't call me crazy, but what if we all lived our lives like that? What if we approached every day? With the humility of our servant king, not just in politics, like in our homes. What if we served our spouses and our children that way? What if we, if you're a teacher and you served your classroom that way? What if you, you know, hold some, we all hold some sort of authority as adults. What if you Ah. looked at your authority through the lens of Christ washing his disciples' feet rather than? Yeah. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I, there's a, yeah. the kids movie Aristocats that our family quotes all the time. But, but these two dogs are like, I'm the boss. Yeah. I say yeah. when we go. Yeah. And it's like, what if we laid that down? How different huh. would our, our testimony be? How different would our, our lives? I, I feel like that would make such a big impact in our world.
0: That's so convicting because i feel like in a, a lot of the christian community um i've been in over the years everyone talks about dying to themselves but no one really does it does it make sense uh like at the end of the day no one wants to be the one who wants to uh, maybe in a political sense propose a solution even if it means there's no crisis for you to fight and get you reelected later it's like somebody has to be the one mm-hmm that says, okay, I don't think Jesus was kidding. Right. 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 And that, that's the hard part, you know, but I look at someone like William Wilberforce, you know, who helped end the slave trade mm-hmm. for, um, you know, for Britain. And yeah, I'm taking what Beth is saying and running this through my head. It's like, Dan, in your experience, can you give us an example of someone who kept their kingdom identity centered and that made their um, civic identity better as a result?
2: Yeah, there's not a lot. I mean, it's, um, sorry. Um, no, it's okay. you know, there's, there's a couple that come to mind in California politics. Um, you see people like Eric Seastrand who's since passed away, really strong believer who everybody wanted to work with because he was so honorable in his approach, so kind and so gracious, Oh wow. um, really powerful figure. And, and you will see that on, on the Democrat who's a Republican. You'll see that on the Democrat side where, where you will see members of the legislature get together and pray, pray for their children, pray for family. Oh, yeah. And it just changes the dialogue. I mean, it's just simple things like, I, you know, my dear friend, you know, Senator Beth here, who I love dearly, is just misguided in her policy on this issue. Mm-hmm. As opposed mm-hmm. to, she's a horrible person, I right. can't stand her, right. and she's wicked and wrong. No, she's not. Yeah. It's just this time her policy and education I think is misguided because I don't think kids should go to school before 8 or they should go to school before 8. It's it should not be a personality attack. Huh. It should be a focus on policy. And I've seen people like that do that. Yes. I've seen that you know Juan Vargas, who's in the Congress now, is a Jesuit, former Jesuit priest. Um, mm-hmm. Just how he talks about people. You see men and women who you know again you talk about policy. You don't demonize the person. Wow. You know, AOC isn't bad. I just disagree with her policy on yes. you know socialism, or I disagree with you know. Senator o- o- McConnell's position on abortion, but you know it's the policy issue. It's right. not the man. There are just you know there are yeah. reprobates in all line of work, but the question is, can you stick to the policy? This policy is not good for our country or America, our city, right, our church, mm-hmm. um, because you know it's not founded in biblical truth. I mean, the issue really comes down to do you personalize everything, or do you professionalize mm-hmm. and communicate you know what the issue is at hand? And okay. we in America, especially with social media, it's all built on, you know, taking on the person, not the policy. Mm-hmm. I mean, huh. you know, what is the best policy for our kids in a K through twelve experience? What is it? I mean, that's yeah. what we should talk about. Not like, well, that person was too weak need to let our kids come back to school and they didn't have masks. Well, those are all important issues, but do we have a good policy once they get in the classroom? And it's really hard to get people to focus on that.
0: Oh, Beth, are you thinking the same thing I am right now?
1: I don't know. What are you thinking? <sighs>
2: You know, as
0: you were here's what I'm thinking. What Dan is describing with demonizing people instead of disagreeing with like where they landed on a certain mm-hmm. approach or policy, I saw a ton of that even in the church about the church during COVID. Oh. Like oh. right? Oh, yes. I mean you get pastors like writing letters and saying, God, oh, if you're you know, if you're not um Having services right now, you you might not be a legitimate believer or you're denying the faith and that sort of thing. There was a intense demonization going on um that
1: and a lot of ugly name calling
0: oh, it was super weird stuff, you know um is is that a skill that
1: <laughs> that's such a bad thing to call it
2: <laughs> a skill. No skill it's so clinical
1: <laughs> I really do you I so a good jerk? at name calling
2: right. Well, I think he was, I think he was suggesting a skill not to name call. okay, okay, okay,
1: sorry, I misunderstood. Right,
2: but yeah, I mean, to some degree, it,
0: how, how have you, even you've seen Jesus disciple you as a man, as, as a person in the circles you've walked in to address issues and policies, not their worth as a human being and, or dehumanize, you know, an opponent or someone who disagrees with you.
2: I mean, the benefit of doing it is you're much more likely to get to an agreement on how to solve a problem if you talk about the issue and not the person. Mm -hmm. If I think you're a reprobate as a person, then the issue doesn't get discussed. It Mm -hmm. just gets dismissed on its face because there's nothing good that can come from you because Mm -hmm. of who you are and what Mm -hmm. your ideology is, your party, just who you are, as opposed to what's the right time for children to go to school in the morning at a K through 12 experience. And that's a big policy debate. But is it, you know, because one member thinks it's one way he's bad? Um, Or can we just talk about, is there any science? Is there any strategy? Can we talk to parents? Does it work if they're they're going to to work or whatever? I mean, just any policy issue. I mean, those are things that um, we tend to make it personalized versus policyized. I know it's not a word, but policy driven. So I mean that's that's part of the challenge. And it's really just attitude and tone. If I come to you like, hey, I know you want to solve this problem this way, but I think there's better policy, mm. you don't immediately get your fists up like you want to hit me. It's like, well, what's the better policy than mine? Because I think I've thought this through. Okay, here's another policy that you tried in North Carolina. Mm. And it happened to be from the other party. Um, that's yeah. the irony of it. I'll the see scandal. You, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, somebody from the other party had a different idea For of homelessness. Sure. So I mean, that's you know. That would change the, the confusion. And in the church, too. I mean, yes. I, I know you keep on asking me my life in politics. Yeah. I would suggest that the church is not devoid of politics yeah, in and of absolutely. itself. Oh, my word. There's, that's so, tattoo worthy. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> some of my toughest meetings in my life have been church meetings. Wow. So that includes all the political meetings I've had, just yeah. because most people in politics don't question my integrity. Mm-hmm. But wow. people in the church have. Ouch. So, I mean, that's kind of weird when my opponent, my loyal opponent, you know, as a an interest group would say, yeah, Dan always tell the truth. He's just wrong. Right. Versus somebody <laughs> in church saying, I don't think you're telling the truth because you won't agree to paint the walls in the order of time I want you to. And you and, hate the lost because you won't paint the walls or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, so, you know, I mean, look at... Look at all, all of organized religion is very political. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's such a good mm-hmm. point, so, I mean, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church, is it political? Mm-hmm. I would just suggest it is. Is Southern Baptist political? Oh yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Is a Muslim church political? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, you know, there is tremendous. I mean, like, Mr. Khomeini is a powerful political religious leader of a profound country known as Iran. Yeah. I mean, in so, I mean, we tend to separate the two, mm. but oftentimes the politics of, of any social being or social system can be very profound, whether it's driven by you know, a, a religious figure or by a political yeah. figure. And in some cases, they're one and the same. Okay,
1: we have a couple more questions,
2: then we'll wrap up.
1: Um, why do you think it's easier sometimes to feel more united to non-Christians that vote like us than Christians who vote differently than us?
2: Yeah, and this goes back to Cole's experience on his flight where he just had this instant unification and unity. Um, I mean, these are issues that we hold dear to us. Our political views are very strong, especially if we think they will impact our family, our home, our lives. Um, And so to have a Christian who says, I really think the focus of the New Testament was on taking care of the poor. So whatever Mm. ideology or party does that best is the most Christian party You know might challenge people of various parties Mm -hmm. and so you know it's kind of like what is the lens if the lens is is, does christ talk a lot about freedom well he does he talks about freedom in Mm -hmm. christ Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he does not talk about freedom in rome Mm -hmm. yeah he didn't he didn't come in as a rebellion leader of the government Mm -hmm. he came in the rebellion leader of the church the judea church but um his focus was on eternal yeah but i think to answer that question i mean we these are really emotional, raw issues. And when you find somebody in the church who's saying, we should be more of a different party than I am, mm-hmm. um, we find it's like, well, how could they be saved? Th- that party believes yeah. this issue, which is abhorrent to scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, the other party believes something that's important to scripture because it talks about yeah. idolatry or greed or, and both parties have that. But right. I mean, how do you, um, you know, how do you distinguish the two? I find that every party has... This may really offend some of my friends, but has truth in it from a Mm -hmm. biblical perspective. And every party has things that are anti biblical. And that's why we focus on the Bible, not the party. Because yes. as good as the Republican Party is, it's been around since 1867 or 65. And as good as the Democrat Party has been around, a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But it's not like it's, it's it wasn't part of the creation. Right. <laughs> it right. wasn't part of the original foundation of scripture. Yes. It's not part of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt vote right or left or middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we tend to find that to be a much more unifying factor because it's just it immediately hits closer to home on the issues that are more daily for us yeah. and more huh. impactful for us in our, our our basic lives, not our spiritual lives, not our eternal lives, right. but are mm-hmm. like where my school is, where my road is, how my children are treated, how my job works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That can be far more consuming wow. than am I ready for... Am I ready to meet God? Should I die today?
1: Maybe we think the 11th commandment is thou shalt vote like me.
0: (laughs) Y'all don't realize this. Uh, All through church history, there's been two onion skin pages in everyone's Bible that have stuck together. Um, In in the right breeze the other day, they blew apart in mine, turns out. Um, And it actually tells us how we should vote. It's a shame we don't
2: have time for it. (laughs) Okay, last question.
1: Uh, Okay. Last question. Are you ready, Dan?
2: I think I am. I never know with you two, but I'll try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How do we, as Christ followers, live as good citizens, both of Jesus' kingdom and our community, states, country, world? How can we be salt and light to those around us?
2: So as as simple and as complex as that question is, so love God with Mm -hmm. all your heart, mind, and soul. Mm -hmm. And second and profound way of changing all things political Mm -hmm. is to love your neighbors yourself. Mm -hmm. Whether your neighbor is Mexico, your neighbor is your next door neighbor, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 feet away from your property line, um, you know, they will know we are Christians by our love, not by our party registration. It doesn't say that in scripture. So, you know, that is what changes things for eternity. Obviously, politics and government is very important to me, and I'm very involved in that process but it will not carry with me to eternity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I walk the streets of heaven, I won't get a different home because of my partisan uh-huh. persuasion. I will get a, you know, I will be in heaven or not based on my relationship with Christ, did it exist or not exist? So I think that's part of Part of it is, is thinking eternally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. America is awesome. I am so yeah, honored and totally. talk about a great time to live in a world power yeah. government. It's really cool it will eventually be gone, whether it's gone because Christ comes back and takes over, or some other nation rises up, or whatever it might be, but the Word of God is eternal. So, you know, the other half of your question, how do we prepare for it? Again, it is taking time to read scripture, and it's taking time to make sure that, is it better for someone to go to hell as a Republican or a Democrat than to go to heaven as a Republican or a Democrat? And so, I mean, if it means that we can't talk to somebody about our faith because they happen to be of the other party, the other stripe, the other issue, then we haven't kept our priorities straight. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for us political animals. Yeah. But the reality of the fact is do I want to win the argument of the best way to run a railroad or do I want to bring someone to Christ yeah. and have them have an eternal future? Even if they happen to be a Democrat or, or a Republican, yeah. that's mm-hmm. not, you know, like, wow, that. Know, they, they they went to hell, but at least they were a Democrat or at least they were a Republican. Right, right, right. I mean, think about yeah. what you're saying there. Yeah, Man.
1: Yeah. I, I tell my girls a lot, you can be right, you can be loving. It's hard to be both at the same time. Mm. So what's more important, right? Sometimes it's important to be right because mm. the truth is important, but we're called to love, like you said. So um, yeah. I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. We Thank so you, appreciate real. it. Yeah. Um, if you are still listening, please like, comment, share, um, rate our podcast so the word can get out and more people can listen. Thank you for joining us. Thanks
2: so much Abby. Really we Appreciate it.